Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Achtung, achtung. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and James Holland, of course. And Jim, what fun we had talking about Operation Citadel and upsetting fans of the German <laughs> army this Oh, week. my God. It's just, it's, it's just sort of guaranteed as day follows night, isn't it? How dare you denigrate the tactical prowess of the German army? Yeah, do you know what? We're only, we're only saying it to get, get likes on Twitter. <laughs> it's just, honestly. We were talking about... An impossible offensive that failed, right? Yeah. Whatever you do, don't knock the Germans. It's just extraordinary. But tactically, Jim, they're better. Well, yeah, maybe it's being tactically better. Let's, all right, let's concede that tactically they're better than anyone else. It's not getting them anywhere, is it? It's getting them having the tar knocked <laughs> out of them. And I thought the question we raised about, and I want to get this off my chest because it was driving me mad yesterday. I could tell. Don't let's be beastly <laughs> to the Germans. You know, it was, it was it was heading in that direction. You know, the fact that one of the things we talked about at the start of the podcast was, let's say they succeed at curse Because there's a lot of people, well, if they'd gone in April, they'd have won. Well, won what? They'd have won yep. what? They'd have won themselves a summer of trying to hold a line against a Red Army that would then go, right, all right, that's what you want to do. Here comes the next enormous hammer blow. I mean, also, are they tactically at better, sla- better at slaughtering people in villages? Are they tactically better at that than anyone else if they're so be- much better at tactics? Are you going to add the genocide to the don't denigrate the here? You know, I mean, I find it it's so interesting because it's a reflex for some people. How could you say this? Manstein's the greatest general of the war. If, if they'd done it differently at Kursk, it would have worked. There's no getting through 110 kilometers of defenses. <laughs> and the thing we, the, one of the things we discussed in the podcast is how could the Germans have got a better outcome out of the summer of 1943? Which, of course, one shouldn't do because we're not fans of the Nazis. But And their and appalling ideology, which is absolutely... And it's an ideological war, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. So, so it's so good, no good saying, just park the ideology to one side and let's just talk purely about the tactics. You can't, okay? No. This, this is an ideological war. Particularly if you're the way you're motivating the people that are going to use these tactics by using that ideology. Which you are. Which is exactly what you're doing. Exactly that. Because tactics rely on morale and motivation. Morale, they're they're inextricably entangled. Are you saying they're tactically superior because they're Nazi? Because that's, because after all, if that's the thing that's mobilizing people. Then uh, then I think you need to question what you're saying a little bit. What is it exactly you're saying? And I found it, I found it very, very interesting. And of course, we, you know, Someone actually said, don't denigrate the Germans tactically. Well, why not? What, why? Why? Why is, why is this a sacred? Why is this sacred? Why is this a thing that can't be discussed? It's absolutely and, I, and I thought, you know, we, we talked about where some of it comes from historiographically and politically and where, where the origins of some of this thinking come from. And I think, it, you know, it's all stuff that's worth talking about. 
And of course, we're not. We don't expect people to agree with us. But someone said, "Oh, you, none of this is borne out by reality." And you think, well, the reality is the total <laughs> destruction of Germany and defeat by de- defeat by the armies of the, the rest of the world. Well, I think I think I said so. Yeah, because the war in the Far East went so well for Germany. I mean, you know, honestly, one of the things, of course, one of the things you can't do is treat the Eastern Front as a monolith. There are many, many Eastern Fronts. It's enormous. It's a vast front. Yes, well, we've had that point before, haven't we? There's a, there's the Baltic Eastern Front, and there's a, a Ukrainian Eastern Front, and there's exactly. a Caucasus Eastern Front. There's all sorts going on in all sorts of different places in all sorts of different ways. But I think you can look at Kursk and draw the conclusion that the Germans lost, <laughs> and that the Germans, and that they couldn't have won. And you know, is it Klaus Fitz who says strategy without tactics is the surest way to lose, uh, or the slowest way to victory? And uh, tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. So, you know, yeah, the Germans are, let's are, let's concede, and I don't necessarily agree with this, let's concede they're better at tactics. It's not getting them anything, is it? Well, I think what, I think the other thing that was getting everyone riled was the fact that I was saying that Camp Creeper were, were fundamentally a sign of weakness, which they are. Why everyone's dazzled by the tactical flair of the Camp Creeper is because they're able to do it really quickly, whereas the, the allies are really cumbersome and take, you know, days to plan a single operation all the rest of it and as i pointed out when i was doing that book on on normandy the reason the allies take a long time is because there's a lot to organize you know in the case of normandy you know you've got offshore naval guns coordinated with air power coordinated with the artillery coordinated with you know a mechanized heavy ground forces the whole point about camp group is that they they are ad hoc formations cobbled yeah. together very quickly and the reason you can cobble them very quickly is because there aren't many of them and that's fundamentally a sign of weakness you've had a lot of practice because you've been losing for a couple of years well that that as well now <laughs> when, when did, i think I, I cited i know i cited the example of of italy and and if you look at accounts of contemporary accounts from the allies they say you have to hats off the, Amer- the germans have been incredibly de- determined defenders you know they, they have they have been a really really tough nut to crack yeah. yes absolutely but does that mean that they're, they're tactically flexible or that their generals are making the right decisions i would argue no the fact that they're holding up these lines whether it be the bernard line or the gustav yeah. line or, yeah. or or fighting in all toner that they're fighting for ground that is frankly meaningless by this point of the war because they've they've yeah. given up the key bit of, of real estate, which is the Foggia airfields and the yeah. ports of yeah. Brindisi, Taranto, and Bari, without a fight. And that's the only real point, apart from the sort of psychological value of having Rome, which I would say is kind of, you know, it's, it, it's got a value, but it's not got an overwhelming value. You're much better off going up to the Gothic line, which is planned, or the Pisa-Rimini line, which is far further north of Rome, yeah. where your, your lines of supply are much shorter, where you've got mountains absolutely coast to coast and where your defenses are much more obviously strong and you can then defend the Po Valley and all the rest of it. But you've given up the Foggia airfields already. So so filling the these front lines, the Gustav line and the, and the Bernhard line with these penny packets, splitting up divisions, splitting up uh, um, regiments and, and flinging people in and companies in just to fill a hole, just so that someone can be manning yeah. a three-inch mortar and um and a, a, and some machine guns, just so that you can stop the Americans or the British or Canadians or whatever or New Zealanders from 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 pushing forward another another half mile is not a great idea. That doesn't mean to say there's not a lot of really good soldiers in there. In, yeah. in, in amongst them, there are experienced. Yeah party veterans people who are trained who have, have got that sixth sense who, who know everything and, and they're, they're obviously they're individually they're very very good and talented soldiers well, but and as a whole does that make you a strong brilliant army of, of tactical genius no 
Well, I mean, the thing is, is two things. It's the, the idea that by 1943, the Germans haven't chewed through loads of really experienced officers, because one of the things we know we know about combat from, from having read about it and talked about it an awful lot is it's completely arbitrary. You can be the most savvy, street-smart subaltern on the planet, full of, uh, brim full of vim, Ausfrag tactique, and all that sort of stuff. And all that. And, and a long tom 14 miles away lands a shell on you. And that's nothing to do with you or your battle savvy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the Germans have chewed through an awful lot of those people, right? So yeah. by 1943, there's a colossal amount of wastage. They're also running out of manpower and time to train people. And cutting corners on training programs and, and officers are no longer have to go to become Farn and Junkers and go to Krieg school. And, and, and we remember we spoke to, it was, was it Bernhard Kast? We spoke to have been looking at, internal training and the, the literature within the German army and what they're saying to each other about, you know, why are we, the enemy use smoke a lot. Why don't we use smoke? They don't use smoke. You know, they're really good at um, shelling us on the counterattack, but they carry on counterattacking, counter which leads to my second point. 21st Army Group in Normandy are going, brilliant. They will counterattack without fail. The Germans will counterattack. So what we'll do, and they do. we'll put in an assault so that they counterattack us and then we'll shell them as they gather to counterattack because everyone knows in in 21st army group for instance the limitations of the 25 pounder if someone's dug in properly the 25 pounder isn't particularly effective as an artillery weapon it'll keep people's heads down but it won't kill them um it may yeah. not even injure them but if they're in the open it's murderous yeah. and 21st army group's way of doing things is predicated on the fact that the germans are tactically inflexible not that they are tactically super flexible you know and i think i just think why is talking about this such a trigger for people? It's, it's fascinating. I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's absolutely extraordinary. We have, di we have wildly digressed. and um, uh, Well, I know, but it's an important thing, and I think it's important to get, get, get it off our chest. And, and I do find it absolutely <laughs> astonishing. I, I really find it astonishing that there is this, this sort of there, – there is a certain sec section of people who, who are just totally close to this. I mean, it's like a sort of religion almost. I mean, it's, it's so weird well, that you would be such a closed book about it because the whole point about history is you need to be open-booked about this stuff and you need to be able to prepare to change your mind. But I think what's very interesting is it's some of this is sort of, you know, fading embers of Nazi propaganda. And there's a, mm. there was another point earlier in the week where someone in a newspaper column said something about, you know, British, British culture is trivial. You know, we're, we're too trivial. We don't take things seriously anymore in this country. You know, like the cabaret scene in Weimar, Germany, where they weren't taking it seriously. Yes, I read that article. When was that? That was in the Times somewhere, wasn't it? Yeah, but the cabaret scene in being decadent and proof that Germany is going down the toilet. Whose propaganda is that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. That's, that's an, an inherited view. That's a, like a thing that people reflexively say, oh, you know, there was good cabaret in Weimar and it was all decadent and gay and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and all that. And, and, and the Germans had the best weapons in the Second World War. But it's Nazi, it's Nazi propaganda that yeah. Weimar is decadent. Yes, of course. And yet it's completely, it's completely entered the mainstream as yeah. a trope. Yeah. I mean, alongside Versailles to punitive as, as, a, as, you know, Nazi talking points and uh, points of propaganda have entered the midstream of opinion in a way that I think is really very interesting. And this is, yeah. you know, what we were talking about start, just, just now, you know, that the, the, the superior here is part of that hangover, that legacy. And I know, 
after the war, what you've got to do if you're the Western allies is get the Germans on side. So you've got to you've got to make nice with their generals and their or the surviving people who you want to form the, the Bundeswehr. You've got to do all that. You've got to say to the Germans, you did a jolly good job against the Russians. And please, can you tell us how you did it? You've got to do all that. And it goes into the historiography. And I completely, I completely understand why. Well, I had dinner once with, with a future chief of the defence staff, you know, he's a senior, yeah. most, most senior um, British military figure. And he was, you know, rolling out the whole kind of, you know, man for man, German soldiers were yeah. better, all this kind of stuff. You know, I just thought, wow, really? Yeah. You know, you're the head of the armed forces or about to be, you know. The other thing in it is, is if you win, you've got to say the other guy was good. Well, there is a bit of that going on, isn't there? You know, Wellington said the best general ever was Napoleon. And who did Wellington beat? You know, well, Well, there's some of that having gone on as well. There's some of that, that having gone on. And also, you know, the fighting in Normandy was extremely hard. Flighting in Italy was extremely hard. So you credit your opponent. You do. But what I would say is that Anyone can man a machine gun and fire it in an arc, particularly if you're firing an MG42, which sprays bullets all over the place. You know, anyone can fire a, fire a mortar. It doesn't require a vast amount of training to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It really, really doesn't. What it requires is immense courage to stay in your position in your rocky outcrop on that mountain yeah. and keep firing. Yeah. Yeah. But what's the alternative? Running away. Well, you know, history would suggest that that's not a very good idea if you're in the German army. Yeah. So, so what's your alternative? You're stuck there. I mean, what's what's really interesting about all those diaries and stuff that I've been looking at for Italy is is the kind of sort of utter misery of the Germans in the, for the situation in which they find themselves and the hopelessness in which they find themselves. They know there is no way out. Yeah. yeah. You know, they're stuck there. Whether they end up being blown to pieces or whether they somehow make it through, that's their fate. That's their lot. That they're, they're, yeah. they're just there, and and that can make them a a, a nuggety and difficult enemy from which to kind of prize out. But does yep. that make you tactically brilliant or highly trained or, yep. or, or a kind of sort of honed fighting machine? Absolutely not. It no. just means you're, you're a de- being a determined fighter is not the same as being a, a highly trained or highly tactically flexible tra- uh, fighter. Anyway, we were going to talk anyway. about something else, but I just well, thought... Well, yeah, I, I just, before we do, though, I've, I'm still kind of um, on a high from Flying Legends. <laughs> yeah, how was that? Oh, it was absolutely brilliant. Now, Flying Legends is... is, is it is legendary. It's been kind of 30 years in the running, and it's really... I owe it a lot because it was one of the reasons why I ended up getting in, excited yeah. and writing about the Second World War because I'd literally seen the Spitfire flying while I was playing cricket and then the next weekend was flying Reg- Legends and I took myself up there and I immediately became afflicted. And yeah. so that was that was my, you know, that was my kind of start point really. Yeah. And it's been down for the last couple of years because of COVID and what have you. And yeah. it used to always be at Duxford, but they've now put it at Church Fenton. They're doing their very own levelling up scheme into the north. And it is a brilliant, brilliant place. You know, it's a Battle of Britain airfield. It's where the Eagle Squadrons were formed. Um, yeah. It's up in Yorkshire. It's not a million miles from Leeds, that kind of neck of the woods, York yeah. Leeds. It's on that kind of sort of flatter bit um, towards the coast before you get to the moors. And there's none of the air constraints that you have at Duxford. So so they can go as high as you like and they can queer around all over the place. And and from a viewing point of view, you're right on there. You're, you're right there. Yeah. And... Yeah. and Wow, seeing all those Spitfires in the air, seeing the P-38, seeing the Bearcat and the Sea Fury. Yeah. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. 
It was yeah. really, really properly good. Brilliant. I, I literally couldn't recommend it more highly. And if you're around yeah. next July, I really think we should get our asses up there. Yeah, okay. You'll love it. You'll love it. And they have a great attitude to, to commentary. So Richard Grace was doing the commentary, you know, and I, I was coming in and helping out and stuff. But instead of doing the old school commentary where you sort of go, and of course, the Pratt & Whitney engine has a horsepower level of 1,300, whatever. Yeah. We just chatted. It was great. It was really, really good fun. Excellent. Excellent. Well, yeah, next year. So that was great, and I've and I've I've renewed my love for the P thirty eight. Did you see the two six two? No, that wasn't there. That was at Riyadh. So. Oh, that was at Riyadh. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. 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 I was invited to go and see it on Tuesday up at hmm. I don't know Coningsby, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah. just couldn't get there sadly. Yeah, and it looks like Scampton's off the hook. Possibly, it's been awarded a judicial review. Right. Right. Which doesn't necessarily mean anything, but but no. you know, it's a step in the right direction. It's definitely not a step in the backwards direction. So, right, okay, we're going to take a very quick break, and then we're going to come back to what we were going to talk about in the first place. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, but it was important. It was important sort of laying off steam. Out I there. needed a little get let some air to let some air to the poison. Um, yep. <laughs> we'll see you in a moment. Welcome back to Way of Ways of Making You Talk. Now, Jim, um, this week in 1943, we did one of these yep. a while ago, and it was rather good fun. Yeah. Um, let's start on. Well, let's. I'm going to pick one off the because you, we've got this amazing almanac. Let's. The 16th of July, 43. The Bishop of Württemberg, Theophil Wurm, <laughs> writes a letter of protest against the mass killings in the camps to Hitler. Yes. Now, that's yeah. just sat there like, you know, a day-to-day event. Now, if the Bishop of Württemberg knows it's going on... Who else knows? Who else knows? And that's the seven, well, 16, what's that, 16th of July. 16th of July, 1943. 1943, so 80 years ago, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And it's interesting that the church finds itself pretty much a meat and a Nazi sandwich for for a lot of the war, doesn't it? Yeah, it has yeah, to absolutely. sort of figure out figure out where it sits, and um, you know, you have some people who are because we we talked about those resistance vicars, uh, chaplains, and padres and <laughs> yeah. priests a while ago. Yeah. Priests la resistance. I think that's that that strike that's very very interesting, isn't it? Because if he knows, everyone knows. Surely, I mean, how could they not? Yeah. We should just say that this week, you know, major things are going on. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I just wanted to – that's what that's the fun of this thing. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. But isn't it? Because yeah. I've got two really, really yeah, kind no, of – I know, didn't I know, know that, no. that ones. Okay. Yeah. And this relates to Britain. But, you know, you've got the Allies fighting across the Catania Plain in, the, in the, that, that middle section of July yeah. 1943. Yeah. You've got Hitler um, at a meeting with Mussolini at Feltre yeah. to have talks, to try and stiffen his resolve. And – Hitler just talks at him for for two hours and then goes off again, and that's that. And you know, yeah. Mussolini doesn't get a word in Edgeware effectively. And uh, uh, you've you've got um, US fighting the Japanese on Bougainville, which we talked yeah. to John about a little while ago. Um, but you've also got post-war education reform is planned <laughs> in Britain. That's just amazing. Those trials in Krasnodar, you know, the trial yes. is day of 11 Germans accused of the mass murder of Soviet citizens, mainly Jews, while the city in the West Caucasus was occupied by the German army. Yeah. Terrible details were revealed of the use of murder vans in which victims were locked and then gassed by exhaust fumes fed into an airtight compartment. So it's out there. It's out there. I mean, if you're if you're holding trials, and I know it's a Soviet trial, so you know 
but you know, in scenes of much yeah. emotion, a witness said that men, women, and children bundle into the van without discrimination. It was said in evidence that 7,000 people have been killed in this fashion in Krasnodar, yeah. in addition to indiscriminate shootings and hangings of anyone yeah. daring to show disrespect for the Third Reich. Well, you <laughs> wouldn't doubt that for a minute. Well, and, and when we were talking about Kursk, we said one of the things that's obviously changed by 1943 is it's crystal clear who the Nazis are and what they're about. Mm. And there's, there's, a, there's a very public example. And obviously, you know, this trial's being covered. It's, it, it's a public event. There's very much a very, very clear signal of exactly what you're in for yep. if, if the Nazis Nazis win. And, and I think, you know, uh, which kind of throws us a little back to the earlier conversation we were having at the start of the yes. podcast. It's like, well, you know, don't dare denigrate that terribly nice German army who are doing this stuff. Um, uh, but, I mean, <laughs> it, it, but, but yes. And then in Britain, you know, the birth rate is up, but men are away. So yeah. what on earth is going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, 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 so the rate of 16.8 births per thousand of population is equivalent to 684,000 births over the year. Yeah. In 1940 and 1941, there was a marked drop in the birth rate compared with peacetime. The marriage rate has now sunk to its lowest since the war. That's interesting, isn't it? Because what I think one, an impression people might have of the war is lots of people get married in a real hurry because they feel they have to. Yeah. Whereas what they're actually doing is having kids. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder what that is, 1940, the, the birth rate drops. Are, are people thinking, you know, can't bring kids into this world? And by 1943, they're thinking, you know, let's get on with it. I mean, it's a... It's I a, mean, it, first quarter of 1943, so that's summer of 1942... <laughs> lots of troops about aren't there lots of Americans yes. lots of Canadians <laughs> yes <laughs> it's really interesting it's really really interesting isn't it yeah yeah building up of the British army yeah yeah lots of camps and whatnot. but men are away as well most men are away that's what it says and then as you say and then there's education reform this is Rab Butler uh, I mean uh, yeah who's reformed who it is the 1944 Education Act, which, you know, yeah. changes school leaving age and all that sort of stuff, and is a proper radical shakethrough. And obviously the big problem, the big problem is that the church controls a lot of the schools. So the government has to find a way of kind of shaking that grip a bit loose. Um, and and lots of, apart from private schools, you know, schools are very often things that have sprung up within communities and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So it's seen by some people as government like land grabbing education, like actually moving properly into education to try and take control of it which is interesting because this is very much a Tory measure, kind of a nationalisation of education in a yeah. way. You could look at it yeah. like that if you want, but it's the Tories doing it or the national government doing it, but with Butler, who's very much who's very much high Tory fellow, being involved. And I think that's really interesting, you know, that the age goes up to 16 yeah. um, from 15. And they're adding a whole extra year well, on people's good. education. Yeah. You know, it goes from 14 to 15 with plans to go up to 16. And school meals. You know, um, yeah. and this kind of radical social action that they're planning in July 43 is very, very interesting because here you've got, I mean, and there is two contrasting things. The Nazis are trying to kill as many people as they possibly can in the East, which is what that trial is telling us. Yep. Britain is planning what to do with secondary schools for yeah. after the war. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Well, it's this recognition by the middle of 1943. Don't forget, this is, you know... You've got to offer. There's got to be some carrot. Yep, absolutely. And, and, and of course, you know, the beverage report has come out the very beginning yep. of 1943, been sent out to all servicemen, all this kind of stuff. This, this, yep. is, this is the revolutionary talk that is coming in, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you know, this is the overhaul of, of British social fabric in a post-Empire world. 
you know, land fit for heroes, all this kind of stuff. Do you know what else happens on the 20th of July, 1943? Go on. Roosevelt, President Roosevelt, orders that all atomic weapons research is to be shared with the British. Oh, that's nice of him. Given the British are sharing their atomic weapons research with the Americans. Yes, but, you know, this is all very um, um, pertinent when you think about what's going on with, you know, the Nolan film, Oppenheimer yeah. and all the rest yeah. of it. And yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I don't know if no, anyone's I mean seen either. it. Huh. What is it about great directors, quote unquote, that they always have to make films that are three hours long? Well, no one can say no to them. What happened to the old two hours and you're kind of done and dusted? 90 minutes would do me. I mean, Yeah, you know. quite, you know. That's why I still like Disney so much. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Joey, our producer, just popped on and said, why do your books keep getting longer, James? It's How you're a great dare you? How Is dare you, you Joey? A great, a great director now, Jim. Um, uh, can I just point out that they don't? They're actually getting shorter again. <laughs> That's because you've halved it. <laughs> yeah, um, right. Touche. I mean, yeah. I mean, at the same time, okay. But but this is this is this is not. You know, I wouldn't say the Savage Storm is Mission Impossible. No, seven part one. No, it's not. I mean, at the same time, though, you've got. Um, we talked about several Eastern fronts, didn't we? So yeah. obviously, Kursk is going on, but the Red Army. Um, is in the Orel salient uh, causing... Well, yeah, that's a bit going... That's, that's the counterattack out of Yeah, it. that's the counterattack out. So, you know, we can, we can put Kursk to one side because the counterattack is underway now. Well, it's, it depends how you look at Kursk. If you look at Kursk yeah, yeah. as a Zitadel, um, yeah. well, obviously, that's that's cooled off on, on whatever it was, the 14th, and, and so that's the end of that. But if you look at Kursk as the whole battle, then it's yeah. from the German attack on the 5th of July through to the night of the 4th, 5th, through to, I don't know, middle of August, isn't it? When when the Red Army runs out of steam again. Yeah, yeah runs out yeah. of steam. Um, and the, uh, the National Committee for a Free Germany broadcasts its manifesto to the German people and army from the USSR. I bet that I bet that was a barrel of laughs, that <laughs> manifesto. <laughs> um, in the Solomon Islands, the Allies sink two Japanese destroyers. Um, yes. I, I, you know, and at the same time, there's all this action going on in Sicily. On the 18th, the Americans have captured Caltanissetta and Canadians have taken Valgo Grant. You say <laughs> Valgonana. There you go. Yeah, I mean, basically what's happening on the 19th, I mean, well, the, ninth, the night of the 19th, 20th is 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 the second attempt by um, 8th Army to get across the Catania Plain, and that's when Edley Verity, my old friend, um, gets mortally yes. wounded um, in the early hours of the 20th of July. Yep. So there's been that stalemate. You know, you've had the whole battle for Primasoli Bridge, Yep. Um, that's over. Is they've now got it, but it, but it's, it's you know they're stuck in the Catania plain. I've just read Mike Peters' book about glider pilots in Sicily and the stuff oh. about Primasoli and all that. Yeah, that's no, amazing, isn't it? Really good, really, really good. Yeah, 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 really, yeah. really good. And how the Falschirm Jäger, you know, fly from the south of France are persuaded, persuaded to be used one last time, and they fly a brigade yep. in basically onto yep. the same drop zones. Pretty much simultaneously, Johnny one, two, and three, yeah, but yeah, pretty much the absolutely. same time, and then the rest yeah. landing in at Catania. So, so big battles going on in Sicily at this point, and and the Italians are absolutely, you know, they've shot their bolt. That's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Feltre is is the meeting between Hitler and Mussolini. That's yeah. on the nineteenth, and that's that's the moment where you know the, the the fascist Grand Council, the people are plotting very much, and the Commando Supremo, they're all plotting about, yeah. you know, how the hell do we get out of this mess? You know, yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we're absolutely shot. We've got no money. Yeah. We've got no manufacturing left. We're absolutely stuffed. The yeah. public enthusiasm for the war has, is, is absolutely gone. You know, it's all over. What do we do? Um, first port of call is to sort of get rid of Mussolini. Yeah. And if anyone thought that Mussolini still had the charisma and personal kind of power to be able to kind of stay in position... 
Feltre kind of disabuses that. He's sunk by Hitler. He's got nothing to say. He can't get a word in Edgeway. There's no oomph left yet. Yeah. No, no, there's no oomph left. He's he's defeated. You know, he's he's finished. And and that gets you know on the 24th of July, um, he's over. You know that he's voted out, and the king upholds it. And what do you you know? The Americans attack Rome, don't they, on the 19th from the air. Mm-hmm. Well, then, then the Pope going, please don't bomb the Vatican. <laughs> please don't. Whatever you do, don't bomb the Vatican. Yeah, yeah. Whatever you do, make sure that we're okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure it didn't mean it to come out quite like that. But but what to what extent do you think um, that concentrated minds in the fascist council, the fact that Rome was now vulnerable from the air? I think it does concentrate minds. I think they just. But the trouble is, they they know that they're in this absolute invidious situation where if they bug out, then they're facing the retribution of the Germans, and if they don't bug out, then they've got the kind of the full weight of the Allies, and it's kind of sort of what's the lesser of two evils? Yeah, And, and it's how do you manage the extrication yeah. um so so getting rid of Mussolini is a kind of sort of point one of the master plan yeah so they're just in this terrible situation and actually I think Bedolio, Marshall Bedolio sort of pulled out of retirement I mean he's hardly the kind of got a great record mm. from which to kind of take the helm but the king what the king doesn't want to do is be overthrown himself so that's also what is going on here yeah yeah. So he 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 maintains his his uh, he, he says says you know this is not a time for party politics. Um, <laughs> um, so what we need is we just need autocrats in charge. I mean that's always a that's always a um, you know you know things have gone really really wrong when someone says it's not a time for party politics. Yeah, no, it's absolutely amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely amazing. So so Bedolio kind of takes a deep breath and says, well, it's a terrible burden that, that for someone, but but you know I have to do this for for the patria <laughs> and all this kind yeah, of, of nonsense. Uh, and, and he's a spent force and, and, frankly, a horrible piece of work anyway. Yeah. Um, and is responsible for the kind of slaughter of many East Africans in Abyssinia. Yeah. And has Haile Selassie's throne in his personal villa yeah. in Rome and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, yeah. not a, he's not a nice guy. Um, yeah. um, but anyway, Bedolio's in charge. And, and Bedolio is, is kind of thinking, how do we do this? How do we, you know, I'm not definitely going to get out of the war at this point. That, you know, that's probably what we want to do, but we want to be careful. We don't want to be kind of giving everything to the Allies and, Got to watch our backs for the Germans, but equally, yeah, yeah. we don't want too many Germans coming into Italy. So, you know, let's move the Fourth Army out of southern France and let's move yep. that back in, and let's let's make sure that we got lots of Italian presence in the Brenner Pass, which is the big yep. kind of artery from southern Germany to, you know, from the Reich into into uh, into northern Italy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, it, it, it's it's pretty febrile, um, but they're all basically thinking, okay. First things first, let's get rid of Mussolini. Yeah. And then let's kind of just sort of... But but it's not that... I mean, what's interesting as well, at the same time, in Sofia, you've got rioting and, and uh, uh, things sort of unravelling in Bulgaria. And in Romania, all military leaves cancelled. Yeah. And the, the Germans are having to figure out what they're going to do about that. I mean, when you think about it, the sheer amount of sort of bushfires, as well as oh. as well as things, well, as well as things going terribly wrong on the actual front, fronts they're fighting on. Yeah, that their allies, their allies, or the people aligned with them, because no, no one's ever an ally of the Germans, as far as the Germans are concerned. No they're pawns to be used on the chessboard and captured first, aren't they? Basically? Yes, yes, absolutely. But but even so, I mean, you know, the obvious solution here is is pull out the war, isn't it? Is surrender right now? I mean, yeah, I think we'll get out of here. Um, and, and and at the same time, so a week after where we Operation 
Gomorrah begins. And I think it's really interesting on the 26th in this, after a heavy raid on the Krupp armaments works last night, Dr. Gustav Krupp von Bolen suffers a stroke when he sees the burning ruins. Yeah, amazing. It's on the 26th. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I mean, it's the thing I always say. You look at, now is the time to sue for peace. It's what I would suggest. Beautiful. So you've got your people on trial for war crimes in Russia. You've lost Sicily. Your chief ally is about to go under and tell you to get knotted. Your satellite allies um, can't control their populations that are are running out of control. Your main summer offensive for what it's worth, because after all, the thing about Citadel is simply doesn't compare with Blue the year before or Barbarossa the year before that in terms of ambition. It's it's sort of paltry, isn't it, really? Yeah. You know, you what what's in it for the Germans now? Yeah, but you know, don't forget Hitler, you know, Hitler said it's gonna be the thousand year Reich or it's gonna be Armageddon. Either the people have the German people have the will, or they don't. You know, yeah. he's tried to help them deliver them to a new world order. <laughs> um, but if it isn't gonna work, then you know, there's only one alternative, and that's crumbling around in the flames. I mean and then, and then 31st of July, China. Yeah. Over 2 yeah. million people have died or become refugees yes. because of a severe yes. famine in Hunan province. Yeah. Th- that doesn't even get its own little note. That's just a kind no. of like a... That's a, just a, a daily daily info. Yeah. It's amazing. There's, there's not a lot of joy in the world, is there, in, in July 1943? I think that's fair to well, say. Well, and the same date, um, Europe, up to 50,000 civilians have been killed and over 800,000 made homeless by the Allied bombing so far. Yeah, but 2 million people have died in China. That, yeah. that's and, and I think... And then there, you, there it is on the 31st. Headley Velarity, the auctioning yeah. cricket captain, does the POW campaign. I mean, I think this is the thing, isn't it? It is, again, you know, when we had Rana Mitterrand to talk about China, there's a thing going on in China that's as easily on the scale of what's been happening in Europe. Yeah. And it doesn't figure in people's reckoning, even in this almanac that, that, that's, you know, a week by week. Yeah. It don't, it's a sidebar, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, to put that into comparison, the same scale of of note has been put at sea in the last week seven u-boats have been sunk in the atlantic and one off the yeah. time hmm. and 20 million chinese in Hunan yeah. province two million rather yeah and then at the end of the month supreme soviet decorates marshal georgi k zukov with the order of suvorov and general ivan s konev with the order of kutuzov for their roles on the eastern front so that's basically the ascendancy of the of the marshals in the Soviet war effort where they're finally being given the run of things. They're being listened to because that's what we talked about at the start of the Curse podcast is, you know, Zukov's recommendation and then the Stavka order are essentially the same. Yeah. You know, what we got to do is destroy the enemy here and then, uh, you know, let him feed him into our trap, destroy him here and then, and then we can break out. Yeah. But no obvious awards for Rokossovsky and Vatutin who've orchestrated this. No, but that's because Zukov is going to represent the Red Army at the buffet. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this week, high summer 1943. What a time. What a time, but also the, the writing is the writing is on the wall here. Well, I mean, well, yes, and you know, you've got Operation Gomorrah. You know, that, that, that starts now. I mean, yep. you know, end of July, that, that's when that kicks in. Yeah. You know, it, it's... Just bad, bad, bad for for, for for Germany. It's obviously very bad yeah. for the Chinese as well, but it's very, very bad for, for German war aims and for for Italy. Well, look, so 791 bomb, bombers on the 24th. 12 don't return. And we talked about the bombing offensive as, as still not flesh, right? 12 planes don't return. So for the cost of 48 
that's 12 sevens, isn't it? I'm all over the place today. Yeah, it's not, yeah I think it? so, yeah. It's yeah. not, it's not, whatever. Anyway, it's not 12 sevens. No, uh, this isn't a maths, it's not a maths podcast. But for less than, seven into 48 is... No, it's, it's, it's 14 to 7, 7 to 49. It's nothing like it. It doesn't matter. We'll cut this bit. This isn't a maths podcast. But the point is, for the le- do maths on this podcast. For less than 100 lives lost, yeah. a city is destroyed. Yeah. My point is here, if your way to fight the war is steel, not flesh, this is it completely in its purest form. Yep. Bang for buck. Yes, the bombers are really expensive. Yes, training the crews are really expensive. But yep. in terms of the people you've lost for inflicting the damage you've done, this is an extremely efficient way of making things difficult for Germany, yeah? Yeah. And when you see the raw number like that, even though I can't do the multiplication, <laughs> <laughs> it's 84. And I didn't resort to a calculator for that. I actually paused to do the sums. The, no, the, it just the, suddenly came back to you. But, but you see, you know, what is it? 45,000 people die in this raid? Yeah. Yeah, and obviously there's two more nights, and there's you know there's more to come. Eighty percent of eighty percent of the city centre completely destroyed. Yeah, and yet, I mean, that sounds to me like an effective way of doing things. If what yeah. you're concerned about is your own side's lives, and obviously bomber commanders had to arrive at this working method, which has cost a lot of people, and and come to this way of doing things, and it and it remains imperfect. And window is a massive factor in the fact that this raid yep. goes off light, lightly for bomber command. Huge yeah. factor. But if you're, if you know, if that's your calculus, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying whether I approve or disapprove of this calculus, but, you know, don't denigrate bomber command. <laughs> in terms of, in terms of its, its tactical and strategic effectiveness in this instance, for the loss of 84 people, you've inflicted this much damage on the enemy, if that's yeah. what, if that's your way of looking at it. You know, for, for the loss of half an infantry company, you have destroyed a city. Yeah. You're absolutely right because that is absolutely the thinking behind still not flesh. I mean that that yeah. is that's the whole point. I mean that that is why they're doing that because you know you're making the job of those who are on the ground that much easier. And and although it's tough and brutal if you're an infantryman or whatever, you're not going to end up at the end of the day when the war is over. You're not going to have the terrible bill of slaughter that you had on the Western Front in 1914 to 18. You're not going over the top. You know, I mean there there are some poor sods who are going to have to. But this is one way of, of trying to mitigate that yep. question. Anyway, well, what an interesting chat, Jim. I, th- I think we've we've had another uh, sort of wider look of, of July 1943. There's so much going on, isn't there? You know, all around the world, you know, in the Solomon Islands, in China, in yep. Soviet Union, out at sea in the Atlantic, off the Norwegian coast, in Sicily, obviously, in Rome, Milan, big events, earth-shaking events. I mean, I, I don't think you can one, one can underestimate just what a, an enormous earthquake it is for Italy to have Mussolini overthrown. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy yeah. who's been in charge since 1922. This is a guy who's, yeah. who is, you know, he's he's Il Duce. He's the dicta- the fascist dictator, the first fascist dictator, and, and he's gone. Yeah. And my dear Duce, my soldiers don't want to fight anymore. At this moment, you're the most hated man in Italy. Tell it as it is, Blam. Vittorio. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed that. Bit of getting off our chest, didn't we? And that was good to start off. Cathartic to start off with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, blimey. We'll see you all very soon. Uh, thanks for listening. Tons more to come. And now um, I'm not rehearsing every all day, every day. We're going to, I think, 
drift back towards our u- more usual way of delivering stuff to you. So um, right. thank you for uh, tolerating us during the intermission. Jim, you've done an amazing job interviewing everyone without my without my uh, interjections. Well, you've so, been much uh, missed, but it's all been good fun. Yeah, it's all been good fun. Um, we'll see you all very soon. Uh, don't forget, we have Ways Fest, the 8th to the 10th of September, Black yep. Pit Brewery near Silverstone, a weekend of top-grade war waffle. Daily tickets, weekend tickets, there's, there's yeah. everything. Food, drink, glamping, lots of hardware, lots of bangs, lots of amazing yeah. talks, fun stuff, serious stuff. And like last year, there are um, beers for the festival, which are named after 1943 Operations of Note. Yeah, they look terrific, don't they? And we've got some fantastic stuff uh, for you to look forward to and imbibe. Um, it, um, always a pleasure to chat, Jim. Um, have a yep. great weekend. Um, and you. This goes out Tuesday. Don't play too hard. Try not to. Um, I'm having a lot of fun, actually. King Charles II, it's a lot, it's a lot of fun. Um, uh, uh, I will say let me start and do a podcast about the restoration well you know what I wouldn't mind doing that getting a couple of people on I mean talking to a few people what about the restoration yeah would would it be we have ways of making you talk or would it be we have ways of making you the jolly monarch It'd be um, Merry Monarch Monologues or something. We have to give it a name. Merry Monarch Monologues. Well, I'm all over we'll that. We'll have to think of something. Because, right. because I mean, or, or it's an act of prepares, you know, like I'm trying to find out stuff for my role. <laughs> something okay. wanky like that. <laughs> well, I'd love to talk about the restoration. It's great, great subject. All right. Okay. Well, let's fight. Let's maybe, maybe we get onto that. That'd be, that'd be a gas. Yeah. Anyway, we will see you all very soon. Thank you for listening. Cheerio. Cheerio. 